You're listening to Red Leg Nation Radio, the official podcast of RedLegNation.com. everyone and welcome to yet another edition of the Red Leg Nation radio podcast. I'm your host, Chad Dotson. With me as always, the voice of reason at RedLegNation.com, Bill Lack. How you doing today, Bill? Well, I hope I got more left in the tank than Scott Rowland. <laughs> oh, well, that's a topic we'll get to later, uh, and I'm sure we could spend a while talking about that. This, of course, is our 71st podcast, 71st episode of Red Leg Nation radio. And, and Bill, I've just got to before we go any further, uh, commend you on our last two, episode 70 and episode 69. You can find those both on the right sidebar at redlegnation.com. Uh, you uh, had a conversation with Chris Welsh, uh, Reds broadcaster Chris Welsh, and then with uh, the Reds beat writer John Fay there in the podcast previously. Both very, very interesting uh, conversations, don't you think? I thought, yeah, I, I, I think... You know, John is a, is a little more guarded, I think, at times. And I've known, I've known, I think I may have said this before. I've known John for like 30 years. He used to live downstairs with me in a two-family house that we both lived in many, many years ago. Uh, and I met Chris through through Red Lake, you know, through my the uh, the blah, 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 through the uh, the Reds uh, listserv, and then you know he's become a big contributor to our facility here. And, Chris has always got a good spin on things, I think, and it's a spin that that I, you know, a lot of times that I don't even uh, occur to me until I talk to Chris. And I think one of the things that was real interesting was when when he talked about the Eraldis Chapman situation. And I know, you know, just I'm going to jump into Chapman here real quick, but I, I know we all want to see Chapman in the starting rotation. And, and Chris is interesting a, a point about this is how they feel that they need to hold his innings down. I think is an interesting point, and, and I'm not sure how it could have been done more effectively so that he would have still been available <clears throat> possibly as a starter late in the year. Uh, and I thought that point was really interesting with Chris, and, and we always uh, appreciate the time that he gives us. We hadn't had him on, and I don't think he was on at all last year, uh, but he's always happy to, to come back and, and, and be a part of our, our program here. Yeah, definitely. He's just uh, uh, always an entertaining uh, conversation. Uh, speaking of Chapman, he also said that I thought was interesting that he thought that uh, Walt Jockety and, and Dusty Baker were actually everybody was pretty much on the same page with respect to the development of Chapman at this point, even though maybe comments in the media may have given a different impression for that. And I, I, I don't know if that's the case or not, but uh, certainly an interesting conversation. Chapman. Let's just go ahead and jump into uh, Aroldis Chapman because that's one of our topics I wanted to talk about before we talk about the mess that the offense has been uh, early this season. Could Aroldis Chapman have been any better out of the bullpen than he has been so far? Let me just uh, toss out his numbers. He's basically pitched his first uh, nine innings. He didn't allow a run. Three hits over those nine innings. 121 pitches. 85 of those pitches were strikes. And, And this is the part that just blows my mind. So far this season, Aroldis Chapman's faced 30 hitters, and he has struck out 17 of them. He's leading the Reds in strikeouts, and he's a setup guy. What can we say about how good Aroldis is and can be? Well, I mean, we've been told for for you know since he signed with the Reds that he's he's something special. You know, uh, to, to pull out a bull Durham, you know, God put a lightning bolt in his arm. Uh, I think we're seeing the you know his maturation. I would hope. Uh, and, and the 
he's becoming consistent with his, his you know, and, and I don't want to get into pitching mechanics because I don't know what I'm talking about. But they talk about release him, him being able to hit the same release point, how, how that could be, just be the difference with him because it sure isn't stuff. No, that's a fact. And I talked about the amazing thing being his strikeouts, but actually the more amazing thing is zero walks. Zero walks. So I mean, that's amazing. In six games, nine innings, zero walks. For a guy that, you know, has had times where he struggled with his command, it, it blows my mind that uh, he's, uh, you know, been so dominant for this. It's not really a – it's still a small sample size, I guess. Uh, not really an extended stretch, uh, but it's it's amazing nonetheless. Yeah, I don't think it's – I don't think we're going to expect him to have a .33 whip through the rest of the season, but, you know, we're happy with where we are. Yeah, he can still regress to the mean a little bit and still be uh, pretty, good. pretty doggone good, no doubt. So, you know, Aroldis Chapman's great. Uh, you still you still agree that he needs to be a starter? Oh, absolutely. I, you know, for, for both himself and for this team, for this contract to make any sense, and, and I think he will before this season's over. Uh, you know, when that'll happen, I you know, I think they'll make some decisions when Massett comes back, but that still sounds like it's maybe a month off. You know, he started the throw, I think it was this week, and he, he felt something in his shoulder arm again, and they shut him down. And and I think until they get Massett back into a setup role, I don't think there's any chance of Chapman coming out of the bullpen. No, I don't either, but I'm also on board with, with uh, the notion that he needs to be a starter. We've been pretty consistent about that since the day he was yeah. signed, frankly. Um, and whether they're just trying to keep his innings down or, or what the case may be, maybe moving back into the uh, rotation later, I don't know. All I do know is if you're going to maximize the value that you're getting out of Aroldis Chapman and that big contract they gave him, he's got to be a starter, I think, to maximize the value. And clearly, in my opinion, they've got to have him as a starter because, you know, he went two innings a couple times. And Dusty Baker said, well, he's really not available for two or three days after that, after he goes two innings in a game. You couldn't couldn't put him in the game. And so that doesn't sound like a relief pitcher to me. Uh, But when he does get in the game, he's blowing people away. Just a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I don't think he's even been challenged at this point, you know, in, in a game. I don't think he's even been in trouble in, a, in any specific, uh, you know, working off memory here, in any specific appearance. I can't remember him even getting himself into any trouble. When you've only given up three hits in nine innings, you're not going to be in much trouble. I mean, that's that's apparent. You haven't walked anybody. But, you know, whether it's by luck or design, you know, him, you know, whether the massive injury and, and, and the, the, the starters – Pitching reasonably well, other than Matt Latos, and we'll talk about Matt a little later. You know, whether by accident or by design or by both, you know, him being in the bullpen is keeping his innings down, and, and hopefully, when we're making a, a run in you know all July and August, he'll be available to be in the starting rotation. You know, because I, you just can't believe that they're going to have five healthy starters all year. No, and no, that never happens, obviously. And I guess my fingers are crossed. The guy that we thought, just to sort of stay on a positive note, uh, somewhat to begin the podcast, because we've got a lot of things to talk about that are going to be uh, le- uh, less, uh, I don't know, less entertaining if you're uh, looking at the glass half full. The guy that a lot of us wanted to be removed from the rotation for Chapman uh, to take his spot, a guy that's been my favorite red for a while now, but uh, Bronson Arroyo. What about Bronson Arroyo? Three starts now. His ERA is under three. He you know, really has looked, uh, with the exception of a couple of innings where he, I don't know, uh, Lost uh, the mono returned or something during those innings. I don't know what it was, but uh, overall, Bronson Arroyo, yeah, not a bad start to the season. Surprising everyone, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I think the key with Bronson is going to be Dusty not leaving him out there too long. Uh, as Chris said in the podcast, he's basically become a six inning. You know, maybe if you're lucky, you'll get him into the seventh inning pitcher. 
Now, I mean, he pitched better than that the other day in St. Louis. I think he got into the eighth inning, if I remember right. Uh, but overall, especially when the weather gets warmer and that kind of thing, uh, I think they're, you know, my, my problem, my concerns with Arroyo at right now aren't effectiveness. It's, it's the wear and tear on the bullpen from having to pick up three innings for him every night. Right. Uh, you know, Bronson's first start of the year, if you'll recall, he went six pretty good innings and really there's a good opportunity to get him out of the game and, uh, Dusty Baker left him in a couple of hitters too long in that seventh inning, and they ended up scoring three, two or three runs off of, of Arroyo and sort of ruined what could have been a, a really good start to the season, especially coming off the season he had last year. So um, you're right. He did go uh, into the eighth the other night, but I, I can't agree more that you got to really get him out when he's ready to come out. And uh, I don't know how you judge that. Bronson's always been very honest by all reports with, uh, with Dusty about saying when he's gassed. But, uh, yeah, it may tax the bullpen some, but frankly, if we can get six good innings out of a guy that really I counted as our fifth starter, you know, every five days, six good innings is not that bad, frankly. Yeah, I mean, it could be a lot, you know, it's better than, you know, where our pitching staff was two years ago, last year even, you know. Yeah. And let's not even, let's not even go back to the days of Josh Fogg and Jimmy Anderson. That's right. <laughs> Jimmy Haynes. Oh, oh, goodness gracious. Hey, that was the number one starter. Let's not. We're talking. I know. We're talking about fifth starter. That was starter. the ace. That's right. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how long Arroyo can keep it up. I hope he can. I love watching him when he's uh, moving the ball around and, and throwing the ball well. Uh, but uh, it's been a pretty positive start to the season for Arroyo. Now let's talk about some things. We'll come back to the pitching rotation in a moment because there are other good topics with respect to the rotation. Johnny Cueto, and there are other not so good ones. Uh, Matt Latos. But let's shift over to what really has been sort of a disastrous start of the season for the offense in a lot of ways. You know, the Reds picked up their 10,000th win in franchise history, and um, frankly, I wasn't sure it was going to happen this year, the way the offense started out. (laughs) Through nine games this season, the Reds had scored fewer runs than really they'd ever scored in, in, well, certainly in modern times, since after uh, 1900 which just blows my mind that uh, this offense that has been in the top two or three in the National League the last two years could, with, and with some young guys that you would think would be maturing into uh, good hitters, start out the season, well, historically bad. Now, of course, that's not going to be the, that way the whole season. A lot of people uh, on Twitter and in the comments at RedLegNation.com are, were you know, throwing the season away already because this offense is the worst ever. Uh, you know, and they've shown some signs of breaking out of that lately, but... What do we make of the fact that this offense has just been ugly and it's not been fun to watch? Well, I, I, and it hasn't, but I think everything is over-exaggerated, you know, in the first few weeks of the season before people kind of settle in. And I think I think Greg posted something when we were talking about this online. I believe it was Greg. I apologize if it wasn't. But, you know, this isn't a you know, historical bad in ter- – this is only historical bad in terms of starting the season. He pointed out some places, and if I remember right, even the Big Red Machine went, you know, 10, 12 games where they were this bad. You know, so so let's not jump off the bridge, you know. Uh, do we wish they were playing better offensively? Yeah. Will they? Yeah. But, you know, this isn't historically bad in terms of, like, the, off, the Reds have never had an offense this bad before. They just never had an offense this bad this time of the year before. Right. This particular – you right, know, this particular of set of ten games or whatever the, the number was that they looked, and I and again I think it was Greg that, that posted that. 
Right. And you're talking about Greg Daffler, one of our uh, yes. at redlegnation.com, and I agree. We've sort of been trying to urge patience at Relic Nation. We try to do that with a lot of things because it's a long season. But, yep. but when night after night of one run and three hits get piling up, it gets hard to urge patience because, I mean, they looked they looked bad. Um, well, I think you said it in, in one of the wrap-ups that, the, you know, it was painful to watch this team. Uh, and they were just, there was no one giving quality at bats, you know, Joey Votto a little bit at times and, and, and so, you know, Zach Cozart, you know, but even at times they struggled. Um, and you, and you'd see him up there hacking away and, and not working deep into the count. And so they were getting into people's bullpens. The, the Jackson start in, in Washington. Now he threw a great game, but, uh, but Joel, you know, our, our statistical guru, um, Joel Luckup. Joe Luckup posted something about he threw he threw 37 balls out of the strike zone that night, and the Reds swung at half of them. I know. You know, so I, you know, and there was a, there was a discussion in one of the comment sections on, on the blog a couple of weeks or last week sometime about you know someone was saying that they didn't think being selective at the plate and, and, and driving count pitch counts up would really help them with their offense, and and I just think. That's crazy. You know, you've got to have good at bats. You got to see what the guy's got to offer. You got to push him to throw as many pitches as you can. You know, we get the guys deeper into, you know, deeper into bullpens. And, and the more you get into somebody's bullpen, the better off, you know, odds are that you're going to get a pitcher that isn't pitching well. Well, and just from the perspective of an individual at bat as well, if you are laying off these pitches, if you're being more selective, you're getting better pitches to hit. And you're going to, yeah, the, the batters are, these are major league hitters. They're going to have a better chance of hitting the ball hard. If they're not swinging it, uh, you know, like I said, these pitches out of the zone. Um, Dusty Baker, of course, uh, and again, I've been sort of patient with Dusty over the last few years, more patient probably than most people. I haven't had as big an issue with Dusty's management of this team as a lot of people, although I have had issues. He came out and said, well, we're not going to, we're not going to walk our way out of this slump. Uh, you know, we want to be aggressive and, and that's the exact wrong thing to do as far as I'm concerned. They needed to be more patient, uh, get the, get into deeper into these, uh, pitch counts. Get deeper into each at bat, um, get better pitches to hit. Um, it's not all about actually looking for a walk. It's about being selective. And I just, I think that so many good things that can happen, uh, as you've mentioned, as I've mentioned, the good things that can happen when you are more selective, more patient at the plate. It just astounds me that uh, the manager of this club would be recommending the 180 degree opposite of, of that. It just blows my mind. Yeah. I mean, I think that the poster boy for, for being selective at the plate is Jay Bruce. Um, when Jay is playing well, uh, he lays off that pitch that's down and away, the ball that, you know, and when he's not, you would, I would never throw him anything but, but curveballs or sliders down low and away. Because, um, you know, when he's, when he's being overly aggressive, he just doesn't seem to have the ability to lay off that stuff. Uh, and I, 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 he's kind of, to me, the poster boy of the, the selectivity argument. No question at all. You know, when he's going well and he's in one of his big streaks, his at-bats are almost indistinguishable from Joey Votto's. Very patient, uh, laying off pitches out of the zone, a really good approach at the plate. And, and Bruce has talked in the past about how he sort of is trying to emulate Votto. But, boy, when he's going uh, poorly, you're right, Uh Somebody throws him a slider outside of the zone, and it's good night, Irene. I mean, it's ridiculous. So no question, everybody needs to be a little more patient. 
Uh, early in the season, we've not seen much of that at all and uh, some pretty ugly on-base percentages out of the Reds early. But, again, you know, everybody gets mad when you say, well, it's still early. But it is still early. I mean, you know, the Reds have you know, 150 games uh, approximately left to play in the season. I think they can climb out of this uh, this hole. Uh, yeah, and, and the, the other thing is, and we've talked about this, you know, online at, at different times, but the uh, we, we faced some pretty good pitching staffs in the first couple of weeks, too. Uh, that Washington staff is pretty daggone good, and we didn't even see Strasburg. Um, St. Louis' staff, I, I'm not sure there's anybody throwing better than, than, than Loesch right now. Um, you know, the key right now is I, I want to see the offense pick up in the next three weeks because we got 12 games against the Cubs, the, the, the Astros, and the, uh, and the Pirates. So they need to make some, as, I, as I've said a couple of times, that, you know, they need to make some hay in the next three weeks. Yeah, if there's any time for the offense to get healthy, uh, now's the yeah. time, no question. And that what you brought up is a point that's really overlooked a little bit, and that's a problem with judging things on these small samples and drawing these grand conclusions, sweeping conclusions about uh, how the season's going to go based upon this small series of games, is that the Reds were facing some good pitchers. Loesch is pitching great. They faced him a couple times. Uh, Jaime Garcia for St. Louis is just a, you know, this guy came out of nowhere to be a great pitcher. That Washington staff is... Really, they are a good staff, and that Washington team is pretty good. So drawing any conclusions about how the Reds are going to be uh, terrible, the offense is just uh, not going to be enough for this team to compete. It's premature for that. Let's uh, let's talk after we face some of these uh, Pittsburgh Pirate-type staffs. But all that being said, <laughs> it has been painful to watch. I don't want to – I don't want to uh, – Yeah, we're not glossing it over, but it's, it's you know – No, you look at – Look at the top three OPSs on the team uh, right now, and two of them are rookies for the Reds, uh, Mesoraco and Cozart, who both had pretty good starts to the season. Um, and then, of course, Joey Votto's in there as well. Well, the, the other thing is, and, and, and like you said earlier, you know, we, we hammer on Dusty as, as much as anybody and, and maybe more than we should at times, but I will give him credit, and I never would have thought he'd done it. He did, he, he did matter dramatically, finally, finally dramatically remake the, the, the lineup to – Get rolling out of the four hole, and and he even had you know yesterday he had Bruce and and Votto hitting back to back, and as you you said I think in the wrap up that you know the earth didn't open up and swallow Wrigley Field. Uh, I would have you know per, you know they had to get rolling out of the four hole. He's he's a black he's become a black hole. I mean I hope he turns it on, but I, I sure am not willing to bet on it at this point. But. At least against right-handed pitching, I don't see any reason in the world why you wouldn't bat Votto and Bruce back to back. I just don't see why you wouldn't. Um, I agree. I, I will give Dusty credit for remaking the lineup and, and having the you know the courage to put a put a rookie back up on the top of the order. I mean, he tried it last year and it didn't work out real well with Drew. Um, put Drew in the two spot, and he seems to have responded to that. Now, whether he was just due to start hitting or, or whether being in, in, hitting in front of Joey Votto is helping him, or combination of the two, who knows? But he is starting. To hit, he's hitting the ball better than anybody on the team right now. It was an interesting lineup, no question, and it's the first time there's been any kind of a radical departure from his sort of standard lineup all season long. Uh, Cozart is as leadoff. I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether that will last or not. He's playing well now, but he's not been a great on. He's been an adequate on base guy right. uh, in, in his career thus far, but not great. So I don't know about that. Um, it'd be interesting to see how Coe's are, and then Stubbs was second, how that might change if and when Brandon Phillips is healthy. Uh, you got to think he'll be one or two in the one or two spot because uh, yesterday Willie Harris was starting. 
but yeah, Votto Bruce back to back. I loved it. Uh, really not a bad not a bad lineup. Other than Harris. Other than other than Willie Harris. Um, uh, but but before we get off of Brandon Phillips here, I think we need to talk about how the Reds, in my opinion, are mismanaging this injury. Well, listen, this is a conversation we've had a hundred times the last few yep. years. They 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 let these guys, you know, they try, they either play short. I mean, they let they let him sit out for the better part of a week. They brought him in and let him play in St. Louis, and he really had one good game in St. Louis. And couldn't run really, and he right. still can't. I mean, if they'd have put him on the DL immediately, he'd be ready to come back off the DL now. I, I think they wanted him in that St. Louis series, and now it's you know it's cold in Chicago this weekend. Uh, he didn't play yesterday because you know they were worried about you know him being able to get properly warm and stay properly warm and all that. And from what I had read and heard or read in the weather, it's not going to be any better today and probably not tomorrow up there. So you know whether he's going to play at all in this series, who knows? Uh, and this thing, you know, his uh, I have the concern that this thing's just going to nag the rest of the year. And if they don't do something, or else he's going to do something and make it worse, and then we lose him for longer than we lost him for originally. Yeah, you've hit on the thing that really concerns me more than anything about this, that it's going to linger. This is a, I, my opinion is that the Reds panicked a little bit. The offense was looking awful. Uh, Brandon Phillips is, for better or for worse, an integral part of this offense. Yep. And I, I think they felt like they couldn't afford not to have him in there. And so they held him out for a little while, hoping it would get better. Uh, the hamstring, they started playing and he was begging to play by all accounts. Um, he's uh, the quote unquote gamer you hear about. He wanted to play. But they got him in, and he couldn't run to first. He couldn't. He's just not Brandon Phillips. There was a one ball. It was a little short uh, pop fly into short right field, a play that Brandon Phillips makes every single time, and he couldn't get to it. And so it's affecting the team on the field. It, they could have put him on the disabled list for 15 days, taken their lumps. Yeah, we would have had to see Willie Harris and Wilson Valdez playing in his spot. Well, you know what, though? But they didn't. Todd Frazier could play second base. He's played it in the past in the minor leagues. Now, would he be Brandon Phillips over there? No, he wouldn't. They're, 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 you know, he is an option at second base, whether Dusty Baker wants to admit it or not. And Todd Frazier's name is going to come up here in a moment when we talk about Scott Rowland. I agree. I don't know that the Reds agree um, about uh, putting Frazier. That's the reason I didn't mention him a moment ago, put him at second base. But now we've got a situation where they're not letting this injury heal for Brandon Phillips, and it's a type of thing that could just linger all season long. It's a type of thing that's only going to be healed with rest, as far as I can uh, tell. And they should have gotten him that rest, gotten it 100%, and gotten him back in there so that we have him the rest of the year because Brandon Phillips is a big part of this offense. Um, now, another person that's been counted upon to be a big part of this offense, we just talked about him. He's been the cleanup hitter for most of the year. And we've touched on him briefly, but it's Scott Rowland. Um, I did a piece for ESPN.com this week about Rowland, and I don't want to – you may want to. I don't want to use the the phrase "rolling is finished," but goodness, you know he had that great first half in 2010, the year the Reds won the Central, and at at the All Star break he was the starter at third base, and he was uh, r- right up the top of the MVP candidates. You see the list of people that are uh, MVP candidates, you know, half season MVPs. He was right up there, just had absolutely killed the ball, and was looking like a rejuvenated Rolling, looking like the Scott Rolling. He was healthy. Scott Rowland of years before. Now, then the second half, well, subpar second half, terrible in the division series against the Phillies where the Reds were swept. He just looked exhausted, struck out eight times and 11 at-bats. 
And so I got interested to, to take a look at what his numbers were since that all-star break when we were all amazed at, hey, this Scott Rowland guy is pretty good. Since that time, he's played in 131 games. And by and large, for the last decade, that's been about as long as a Rowland season has lasted because of injuries around 131 games. In those games, batting average 249 since that all-star break, 303 on base percentage, 401 slugging percentage. That's a 704 OPS. Eight homers, 64 RBIs. I mean, yikes. His defense. Eight home runs playing your home park being Great American Ballpark. Great American Ballpark. And, you know, I love the guy. He's hilarious when you see him interviewed. Uh, He's, you know, he seems to be a great guy. He's trying hard. He's playing hard. He's still pretty good defensively at third base, but wow, what 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 can we expect out of Scott Rowland? Uh, can we expect anything out of Scott Rowland at this point, thirty-seven years old? Well, and I think it was last season that you and I talked about the hope that that Scott would would understand when his time had come and and would retire. And you know, we had kind of talked a little bit about that and how you know his contract was hurting the team. Apparently, it didn't hurt the team too much with the contracts that they've signed. Uh, but, you know, he, and, and I don't know about this team with, you know, assuming, let's assume that Roland wasn't in there and that Todd Frazier was playing third base. You got three rookies in your starting lineup. I don't know how many teams have, have been successful in, in, over the years with, with three rookies in their starting eight. Uh, but, you know, the Red, if the Reds had known that Roland was going to be this bad or if Scott had known, if Scott Roland had known how bad he was going to be. And, and, and again, let's not go crazy because, you know, it's 10 games in. But like you said, if you go back to the All-Star break in 2010, you've got about a season's worth of games. Now there were times that he was injured, that kind of thing. But, you know, maybe the Reds would have went in a different direction at third base if they'd have known that they were going to have that hole to fill. I, I, I don't know. But – he just doesn't look like he's got much left in the tank. Um, he's, he's not, he, I, I guess somebody said, I, I didn't see the game yesterday. I was look watching it online. Somebody said he hit the ball hard twice. Uh, those may be the first two times that he's hit the ball hard since that game winning hit he had against the Mar, against Miami in, in the opening series. Uh, I don't know what this, you know, you don't, I, I'm not bad. I don't want to bat, sound, make it sound like I'm bad mouthing Scott Rowland because, like I said, he's a, he's a professional baseball player in every sense of the word. Uh, he's a gentleman. He takes his job seriously, expects others to do the same from by all accounts. But offensively, he just looks like he doesn't have anything left. And I hope I'm wrong. Well, I hope so too. And the Reds are counting the Reds on you being so wrong. Too, yeah. yeah, they're counting on you being wrong. I don't want to go so far as to say that he's finished. I think he's probably finished as a guy that can hit uh, sort of in the uh, middle of an order. you know. But his defense, like I said, is still pretty good. He still can contribute uh, some. If you're hitting him lower in the order, he might be he might be okay. Uh, I, I still don't know what uh, Todd Frazier is going to uh, produce in the majors. Frankly, I think Todd Frazier is the heir apparent and probably should be playing there a good bit now. I gotta think he'll get you better than a 700 OPS, and, which is basically what we're getting out of uh, out of rolling offensively. So, but there is the defensive issue as well. While Frazier is, uh, you know, uh, good defensively, he's not Scott Rowland. Well, no one's Scott Rowland, right? Uh, Scott Rowland. One of the things that amazes me about him still, if you ever watch him play, uh, we've been watching him as a Red now for how long? I don't know that I've ever seen him throw a ball to first base uh, when he uh, fields a ground ball, throws it to first base. 
that didn't hit Joey Votto square in the chest. It, it amazes me. I, it's got to the point where now it just pops out at me every time I see it because um, I, I've never seen it happen. He's uh, So you're right. He is a professional. I don't want to think that it's over, but the evidence is starting to pile up. It's not uh, not looking promising. Let's, let's hope that uh, we're wrong here. Let's hope he breaks out and has another uh, big year like he had uh, in 2010. Well, I, I think the concern is that no matter what, he's going to be in the lineup every day that he's that he can play. Now, we know that he doesn't play on Sundays, and usually and I think he played seven of the first 11 or something like that. If they don't get the bat out of, top, out of, out of Scott Rowland that they expected, the concern is who fills that gap. You know, if you're not going to get what you expect out of Rowland, you have to hope you get more out of Jay Bruce, Joey Votto, Brandon Phillips, uh, Drew Stubbs. Uh, you, you, I think anything you get offensively above the mean out of Cozart and Mezzarocco, you're going to be happy with. Ryan Hannigan is going to be what he is. You know, I don't think you're going to see him play much better than he played last year. Um, so it, it puts more pressure on the rest of the guys if if you're not getting the numbers that you expect out of Roland. Yeah, no question about it, and. And again, we're not basing this on the fact that Rowling's hitting 159 with a 456 OPS uh, this season through uh, 14 or 15 games. No, we're going back a year and a half. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know if there's ever been a plan for the replacement of Scott, the eventual replacement of Scott Rowland, or at least I think it was Juan Francisco until he irritated uh, Dusty Baker this spring by showing up overweight and got shipped off to Atlanta. I really think he was the default third base option. You and I have had discussions about what we think of that plan. So, yeah, I think that's the case. And I think the other thing that, that, that irritated, and I don't know how much of it was the weight or, and how much of it was, they said he didn't rehab his injury. He had a, I think a calf injury and he came into, into, into spring training and it was still bothering him because he hadn't done anything with it all winter. And that would be as, as a front office guy, that would just send me right over the edge. You know, you you have this opportunity to make the big club, and be the heir apparent, and you don't do enough to make yourself to get yourself ready. Uh, it, you know, it'd be time for you to move on. Yeah, I mean, if you've got the chance to be the backup to Scott Rowland, what better opportunity is there? Because you're going to get to play. Yeah, he's you're going to get hurt. Be a caddy, right? So, I don't have any problem with them shipping Francisco off. Uh, yeah, it, it's not, it's not, you're not going to be Bill Plummer to Johnny Bench. <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. But Jay Bruce, you're right, is one of the names that's – Drew Stubbs as well. They're going to have to uh, sort of pick up some of the slack. When you look at Bruce, and everybody gets frustrated with Jay Bruce, and let me just remind everyone of a simple thing. Listen, Jay Bruce is going to be good this year. He's going to have a really good year. That's my prediction. But try to remember this. Jay Bruce is younger than Zach Cozart, a rookie. He's younger than Drew Stubbs. He's younger than all but four guys on the Reds right now. Let's be let's be patient. He's still a young guy, um, and, and has having produced what he's already produced in his career. I'm I'm tickled with Jay Bruce. I, yeah, I wish he'd be a little more patient at the plate sometimes. I wish he had a better approach. I wish he didn't go into these prolonged slumps. But I'm still gonna. Maybe I'm just uh, blinded here. I don't know. But I'm still expecting Jay Bruce to really have sort of a breakout season, take a step forward after after last year, and and he's gonna have to with reduced production from uh, Scott Rowland. Well, and, and if this team's going to compete, uh, you know, Drew Stubbs and Jay Bruce are, are going to have to to improve on, on what they did last year. And I, and I talked a little bit about this with Chris Welsh in the interview uh, about Jay, you know, because even with 
what what Jay or what Jay's done. Uh, I'm never going to say that a guy's been a disappointment when he's playing, playing. I think his fourth year in the big leagues at age 25, and he's hit a you know 100 career home runs and and you know, but he did take a small step back last year, offensively and defensively. I think, uh, and you know, he, 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 and I think he knew that. You know, he went out and hired a nutritionist and all that stuff and lost a bunch of weight over the winter. Came into camp in better shape and and. But, you know, is he always going to be a streaky guy? I don't know. We'll find out. But he's, you know, when he's on, he's very, very good. Uh, do we all wish he was a little more consistent? Yeah. But I guess, like you keep saying, he's he's only 25. Yeah. But just... at some point, though, he's going to be who he is. And, we, and we'll have to accept that. <laughs> that that's exactly right. Um, yeah. And, and there's still time to for that to be determined, who he's going to be as a player. Certainly. You know, I'm looking over the uh, – Talking about the offense, and I just pulled up the uh, Reds stats, team stats here, and I'm just looking through it. And you know, the batting average stat you can toss out the window. I, you know, it doesn't tell us a whole lot, but it, it's what everyone quotes. And I'm just looking at the uh, Reds team leaders in batting average, and if, just to give you a an example of how bad the offense has been, there are three guys tied for the fifth best batting average on the club. Those three guys that are tied for the fifth best batting average on the club are named. Bronson Arroyo, Johnny Cueto, and Mike Leake. <laughs> if that gives you any idea about uh, how bad the offense has been. Oh. Uh, well, we're hopeful that the offense is turning around. Uh, and so, frankly, my head hurts. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Can we shift over to the pitching staff? Well, you know, the one thing on our offense is the, our buddy Willie Harris with his minus 18 OPS plus, you, you do assume that he's going to improve. Minus 18? Is that is that bad? I, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Ouch. No, I don't expect it. I don't know. Frankly, I don't know why Willie Harris or uh, Wilson Valdez are on the roster to begin with. Uh, what, what does Willie Harris bring you that we didn't already have in Paul Yonish? Uh, Yonish couldn't hit, and he's a better fielder than Harris. I mean, what's the, I just don't understand what he brings to the team. Valdez can at least pitch when it gets to be the 19th inning. There you go. All right. Speaking because Dusty always worries about that bullpen. Oh, gosh. Dusty and his management of that bullpen. Uh, do we want to talk about that as we start talking about the pitching? I mean, I, I think we've beat it to death on the on the blog. Um, Dusty gets into extra innings or gets close to the end of a ball game, and, and, and he, I think he manages not to lose rather than to win. And a perfect example of that is really not being able to bring in Sam LeCure at one point in that extra inning game. This is your long guy out of the bullpen and pitching him for three innings. It's eerily reminiscent of that fateful day in San Diego a few years ago when he blew out uh, Aaron Harang's arm when he brought Josh Fogg in, his long man, and threw him to one batter in that game that went 19 innings, or how many ever innings it went. Um, I, I think he does. I think he, he loses. He manages not to lose rather than managing to win, and uh, very frustrating. He pitched every pitcher in his bullpen with uh, three exceptions. Alfredo Simon, who's got no business being on the roster, and then his two best relievers. And there were several opportunities to get uh, Aroldis Chapman and Sean Marshall in the game because uh, there were several really key moments there when he decided to go with uh, Bill Bray and decided to go with Logan Andrusek, who and, and I like those guys, but in these key instances, bases loaded, two outs, 10th uh, inning, ninth inning, uh, I just don't understand in a 2-1 to one game in regular, uh, you know, before it got to extra innings, 2-1 to one game, why do you 
manages if you're willing to lose two to one without using your two best pitchers. I, I just don't get it. I they, hate- went three, they went three games in the in the against the the team that they're going to be. Everybody believes they're going to be challenging for the for the divisional title. And Aroldis Chapman never got in a ball game. And Chapman and Marshall, it's not like they weren't rested. You know, I just don't understand the willingness to lose a game with LeCure and Bray pitching without even getting Marshall and Chapman. Without up. using your hammers, yeah. If, if you're going to get beat, get beat with your best guys on the field. Right, and it's against the Cardinals. I mean, this is a it's a rival. This is a team that's going to be fighting. If we have a chance to compete for this National League Central, this is one of the primary rivals. I, I don't get it. I, I hate to pile on Dusty because I, I don't think we've done a whole lot of that at Red Leg Nation. I think that... Um, there's a lot of really uh, dusty hatred that goes on out there. And I think we've been pretty reasonable at Red Leg Nation because um, there are some things he does very well that probably can't be seen in the box score in terms of managing his roster and being a, a sort of a player's manager. The guys like him. But these are, this was a night where I was just astounded that he was willing to lose that game with LeCure and Andrusik and Bray while not using his, his, his hammers, as you call them. I just, I just don't get it. Uh, I... I don't think editorially we get on Dusty real bad on on, on Red Leg Nation. I think on the in the comments section, Dusty takes a pretty fair beating, um, and, and that's fine. That's what our that's what they're there for, you know. Give your opinion. Um, but I just, you know, the, the manager's job is multifaceted, and we all know that. But the game day managing, it, there, I don't think there's any doubt is what his weakest point is, and. It, it, he he does things that just you know he, the pinch hit or the pinch running Devin Mazzarocco for for Ryan Hannigan the other day nonsensical what <laughs> <laughs> completely ludicrous you know and I'm not saying that Devin Mazzarocco isn't faster than Ryan Hannigan but he's not you know this isn't Carl Lewis and and you know going in for Ryan Hannigan I mean the difference isn't that exponential <laughs> I know I know. Um, well, just to sort of set the stage on a little bit, right after that it was when Logan Andrusic came into the game and loaded the bases promptly in the ninth inning. The Reds were losing two to one at that time. And of course, he lets Andrusic try to get, work his way out of it. Andrusic did work his way out of it and the Reds eventually got it to extra innings. So, you know, I guess that worked out if you're going to, you know, look in hindsight. But then in the bottom of the tenth, he brings in Sam LeCure. Okay, you know, Sam LeCure, he's got a great mustache. He's, he's done a pretty good job for the Reds since he came up. Yep, he's, they, they found a spot for him. Right. He's been and, successful. Yeah, and, you know, okay, so you've got Sam LeCure in the game. It's extra innings. Maybe you're managing in case this game goes a while because there hadn't been a whole lot of offense that day. Who knows? So LeCure gets into trouble. A couple of, these, a couple of runners get on. He's only able to retire, I think, one batter. And this is where it really just, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing on television. They show out into the bullpen who was warming up in this tie game in the 10th inning with LaCure in trouble. He's got Bill Bray and Jose Arredondo warming up. I just, I don't understand why I arrested Araldus Chapman. When, when the game's on the line and you've got Votto and Bruce coming up the next inning with a game on the line, he didn't have. He had his fourth and fifth best relievers warming up. It just, I, I don't know. I, I just can't. I'm not smart enough, I guess, to understand it. Uh, what well, happened? I, I don't watch a lot of baseball other than the Reds. So my only comparison 
in terms of managerial stuff is whoever they're playing against. But I don't see as many, I don't see many other managers that, that also allow their, consistently allow relievers to pitch to one guy. That seems like it's almost a product that, to me of a bygone era. You know, guys are coming in, the specialization doesn't seem to be what it was three or four years ago where, you know, you had a guy come in and just get one out. And, and Dusty does that constantly. And then he, and then he turns around and complains about how his bullpen's depleted. Right. Yeah, if he wasn't complaining about the bullpen being uh, depleted based on his own uh, handiwork, it wouldn't be as big an issue maybe. There are some other guys out there that do. Uh, you know, Tony Russo was famous for, for doing that, uh, bringing in guys to face one batter, three different pitchers to three uh, straight batters. But uh, it's just very frustrating. I thought that was a – again, I hate piling on old Dusty. I'd, frankly, I'd love to sit down and, uh, you know – Grill out uh, some burgers and, and have an evening talking to Dusty. Seems fascinating, but that was a disgraceful performance. And I think just about everyone that watched that game agreed that was a pretty disgraceful performance by Dusty Baker that evening. In a game, the Reds, you know, would have helped if they could have pulled that game out. You know, they could have had a chance of winning that series when they hadn't played well at all. So I, I don't get it. Again, I'm not smart enough to understand. I suppose. Anyway, while we're talking about the pitching. Let's also say this. Overall, the Reds pitching's been pretty good. Bray's struggling. Matt Latos is really struggling. Um, but other than that, uh, you know, Simon is, I think he's a placeholder till Massett's ready. Whether it could, should have been somebody else from inside the system or not, I, I can't address that. Would I have used somebody? You know, I don't know who. They had to create a spot on the 40 anyway. So you could have used, if you wanted a right-hander, you could have used Scott Carroll or, or, or Carlos Fisher. Are they more effective than Simon? I don't know. Uh, you know, you, you listen to the radio and you hear Marty and Brantley, you know, spitting all over themselves, talking about what great stuff this guy has, except for the fact that he can't keep it over the plate. Um, but overall, I, I'm real thrilled, real happy with the way the bullpens or with the, with the way the pitching staffs performed. Other yep. than, than, than Latos. Uh, and, and he's going to turn it around. I mean, his track record shows that he's going to, he's a good pitcher and he's just struggling right now. He's on a new team and, and I think, you know, he just needs a little success to build on. I, I agree about the pitching staff with a few, uh, notable exceptions. It's been pretty good so far. Uh, we'll go ahead and start with what's not been good. As you said, Matt Latos, first three starts, you know, lost two of them and ERA over eight, and it's really just not been sharp at all during that time, and not been the Matt Latos that we all saw in San Diego. And of course, oh my goodness, you can barely wade into the comment section sometimes when he's pitching right now because, well, people are ready to throw him under the bus. Uh, I can't count the number of times I've seen, oh, the Reds have lost another Edinson Volquez trade here. This Latos guy's a bum. Matt Latos, 24 years old, number one. Had two outstanding seasons prior to this one. Uh, and everybody says, well, he pitched in San Diego in that big ballpark. Well, his numbers on the road the last two years have been almost as good as his numbers at home, if you go look at him. He has, for whatever reason, take, go take a look at his splits for his career month by month. He has struggled every April. And now, that's not been that only, it's only been two or three Aprils here, but, uh, so far, but it's something that's happened before. I don't, have the first bit of, I don't spend one second, let's put it this way, of my life worrying about Matt Latos. 
Matt Latos is going to be fine. Matt Latos is going to be one of the top two pitchers on this uh, in this pitching rotation yep. by the end of the season. He has struggled terribly, um, and I haven't enjoyed watching it. Uh, he appears to uh, just be taking it pretty hard, too, from some of his quotes that uh, have been in the Inquirer. Really, just taking a lot of a lot of heaping a lot of blame on himself and feeling really bad about starting off this way for a new team, a team that's expecting him to be sort of a stud. But goodness, people, if you are hammering Matt Latos and if you're calling this trade a, a blowout win for the Padres already, give me a break. Matt Latos is going to be fine. Be patient. Okay, my rant's over. Well, and. and- I spend a lot of time defending the city of Cincinnati where I was born and raised and grew up and still live in the area and Reds fans. Oh, you're going to go into this, aren't you? Yes, I am. But any moron that tweets a player's wife berating her husband's performance on the field should be fed to jackals. I I mean, I just, it infuriates me that, that somebody could be that moronic. I don't know Dallas Latos. I don't know Matt Latos, but his performance on the field has nothing to do with this lady who apparently is, is very pleasant and seems to have a lot of fun on Twitter and interacts with people and does her you know, best to be a good ambassador for her husband and thus for her team that he's playing for in that. And for people to do that, it just infuriates me. Bill, I couldn't agree more. We have spent a lot of time the last couple of seasons sort of poking fun at the St. Louis Cardinals fan base and how they have no class and all this. Uh, we've just we've had a good time poking at them. I'll never say another thing about the St. Louis Cardinals fans because it was a, uh, use the term again, it was a disgraceful display yes. by, by some supposed fans of the Cincinnati Reds. Now, there were a bunch of Reds fans that came to uh, Dallas Latos' defense that night as well, but that doesn't... Uh, detract from the fact that there were some people saying some really awful things directly at a player's wife. I mean, what kind of a, you know, forget about baseball. What kind of a human being are you if you think that that's an appropriate way to act? I just, it blows my mind. It's a, it's a black mark as far as I'm concerned in the city of Cincinnati and um, very, very, very disappointing. Well, it's also, and, and I don't want to get too big with this, but it's a sad commentary on where our society has, has come. Uh, in the fact that, you know, I think that that's one of the problems with the social media is, is it allows you to think that there's it allows you to do things that there's no repercussions to. Because I guarantee you they wouldn't have the, the audacity to say that to that, that woman's name face to face. Exactly. You know, and one of the people uh, that were making these comments, one was an assistant football coach at Springboro High School. There was one that was actually in the sports marketing, I think, at the University of Houston. They were making these comments, people that don't, that should know better. It was I agree. It's a it's a sad commentary, and uh, just I d- I just don't understand who thinks that's a good idea. No, I would I would love to have the chance to to apologize to Dallas Latos myself on behalf of Cincinnati Reds fans. We'd love to have her come on here, Dallas. If you ever listen to our podcast, we'd love to have you come on. Definitely, and you won't berate her if you could do a good chance to speak Absolutely to her? Absolutely not. Treat her like a queen. <laughs> okay, all right. Just check. Her up on a pedestal. <laughs> just check it. Um, well, her husband has stunk, but it's not her fault. No. Um, but it, he, he's going to be not, fine. You know, it's not like he wants to be bad. You know, he's wanted to be bad. <laughs> exactly, and he's going to be fine. I'm, Like I said, I'm not worried about Matt Latos. Uh, he, no, he's he's going to be fine. 
Uh, I tell you who I'm not worried about either, Johnny Cueto. Boy, he hasn't missed a step, has he? Well, I don't know. It, you know, that 1.89 ERA should be a little lower. Yeah, that's true. He has given up four <laughs> runs this year. What's he thinking? Um, now, Cueto just uh, – talk about a guy that's been a joy to watch the last couple of seasons. Uh, he's another guy kind of like Arroyo. He's sort of got that unique delivery and um, – of course, he doesn't pitch anything like Arroyo. His stuff isn't anything like Arroyo's, but just he has that unique delivery where he kind of turns around towards second base. And he's, listen, people talk about Cueto's a number two starter. It's his ceiling, but he's pitching an awful lot like an ace, if you ask me. Well, the other thing that I find kind of funny, or, or, or at least very interesting, is, is and, and I think Chris talked about this a little bit, and, and I've heard it from other people, too, is... Cueto has shown a real desire to be great. Uh, and, and I don't think I've ever heard that about him before, like this year. And I, and I wonder what the success he had last year, you know, it kind of lit a fire in him to be even better. You know, how much better can I be? You know, they talk about him this day after his starts, run, you know, that he's out running stadium steps. Uh, he's just amazing. Uh, and you wonder, you know, how good can he be? We, you know, we all said, and I don't expect the TRA to be 1.89, but, you know, we all said that he did, we didn't think he could reproduce the numbers he had last year. Well, he sure doesn't look like he's missed a beat. Uh, you know, he's, he's in, in, you know, he played, he pitched against the Cardinals and pitched pretty well. Uh, and that's a team that's hitting, you know, was hitting the ball pretty daggone well when he pitched against them. Uh, He's impressed the heck out of me. Pretty good for a guy that Marty said would never make it in the big leagues. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna bring that up. It wasn't just a couple years ago. Yes, uh, it was. Marty on one of his uh, classic uh, rants that he gets on every once in a while, and I'll, I'll never forget it. I don't know if this guy's ever gonna get it, it or have it what it takes it to. In this, he keeps walking guys like that. He won't make it in this league. That's Which, right. I mean, that's true. At the time, he was struggling with his control like that. But again, patience. <laughs> right. Don't. Don't throw a 24-year-old under the bus. There you go. Uh, and, and Marty, I haven't heard him say anything about Matt Latos about that like that just yet. So, uh, and I hope we don't. But yeah, Cueto has just been no complaints with Cueto, and he he still may not reproduce. He's only been three starts. He still may not reproduce what he did last year. But the early returns are awfully encouraging with respect to Johnny Cueto, and he's just uh, he's a guy that I'm sort of tickled the Reds have uh, under contract for a little while. Another guy I read signed to a contract uh, before the season who's – we touched on him earlier. He's only gotten into the game for 4.1 innings, four and a third innings. But Sean Marshall uh, just shift over to the bullpen. Sean Marshall has looked uh, – he had one bad outing, but golly, when he is on, he's just about as untouchable as Chapman. Very impressed with uh, Sean Marshall. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we're going to see – you know, it's tough to – I mean, if five games and four and a third innings. It's it's tough to say that you know we we know we're getting with Marshall. I mean, you have to go on past history, but he looks like he's going to be a, a pretty daggone good closer. Yeah, his past history certainly wasn't as a closer, but pretty good uh, as well. So there are some things to be excited about. We already talked about Bronson Arroyo. You know, uh, everybody wants to climb all over Homer Bailey every time there he pitches, but but you know, I, I don't have problems the way Homer's pitching. Well, and. He is the he's the poster he's the other poster whipping boy and I think he gets he's even gotten more abuse than, than Matt Latos, uh, and you know and but and I know you can't pull nitpick and pull things out but imagine what his numbers would be if you took away the first inning of the first start that he that he threw, right? 
You know, take away that four-run first inning in, against the Cardinals, and he's pitched 17 innings, you know, 17 and two-thirds, and he's given up eight runs. All right, I mean, I'm sorry, he's given up four runs. Right. Four he, earned runs. He you know, yesterday, he got hurt by error, so he gave up, you know, but they weren't earned. I got no problem with Homer, you know. Did, did, you know, is he going to be struggle at times? Yeah, I think he probably is, and I, and I tend to agree with Chris Welsh. Chris knows a lot more about pitching than I do. Um, you know, I think Homer's problems fall when he tries to get to, you know, come to him when he tries to be too fine, when he loses his aggressiveness at the plate, you know, he tries to nitpick. I think Homer needs to trust his stuff. And I think that's also the problem that, that Matt Latos has been having. Uh, I think he's trying to be too fine. And I think when they've, they've, they've gotten into a little trouble, they try to throw the ball through the catcher and through the backstop rather than trusting their stuff. And, and some of that is maturity. And, you know, maybe Homer's going to mature a little later than other people. And I don't know. I hope so. But I, I have no complaints about the way he's throwing the ball right now. Yeah, and you're right. It is unfair to take out that one inning because uh, you do need to look at the whole picture. But there's no question that he's given up eight earned runs this season in three starts. Four of them came in that one inning. So there's been some times this year when he's looked pretty good. And listen, he's 25 years old right now. He'll turn 26 this season, but he's 25 right now. Um, you know, we've been preaching patience on him for a while, and there's been some times during uh, that stretch where it, I wasn't sure he was going to reward us for urging patience with him. But he's he's still young. He's really not throwing bad at all this year. He's had some some times there where he's not looked great. He's had some times where he's lost his focus or just trying to be too fine. However, not trusting his stuff. But look, he's a you know what's he your number four starter, number three, number four at, at best this season. I don't see any reason why he can't put up numbers that would make him uh, one of the better number three, number four starters in the league. I just don't. I, I think that uh, he's got the ability and he's. Yeah, he's not pitching that bad so far. Well, and, and and again, this is you know, I think Mike Leake struggles at times as much as, as Homer Bailey does without nearly getting the abuse. And, and I really and I just don't understand it. I agree. And anyone out here who has uh, heaped scorn on Homer Bailey but gives Mike Leake a pass, and you know who you are, I want you to go right now to BaseballReference.com and I want you to pull up each of their stats, and I want you to look at their seasons last year. You tell me who had the better season. Homer Bailey gets hammered in all quarters, and it's uh, pretty much it's arguable that his season last year was better than Mike Leake's. Um, I, you know, and, and that's no it's no pop on Mike Leake. I mean, we're not popping on Mike Leake. You know, he's he's for love, you know kid that has, didn't pitch in the minor leagues, and you know he's in his well, I guess he's in his third year now. He's done fine, but. You know he's been almost immune to the criticism that's all been heaped on Bailey, and I and I don't still think that's real fair. Well, thank you. Thanks for pointing out that one thing. I don't want it to look like I'm dumping on Leak because hey, I'm a fully paid member of the Mike Leak fan club. Yeah, me you too. know, I mean, he's uh, 24 years old. I, I think he's got a lot to contribute to this team. I, I don't mean it to seem like I'm criticizing Leak. I think both those guys are really got a chance of being pretty good pitchers. They're both young. They're both showing some good signs, I think, and showing some progress. Uh, I think that those guys are going to contribute a lot to this team this year. And so, come on, let's uh, let's back off uh, poor Homer just a little bit here if we could. Um, of course, you and I have sort of been the founding members of the Homer Bailey fan club, I think, for a few years now. Yeah. Um, I hope he rewards us for that uh, in terms of putting up a good performance. So so there are some uh, items about the uh, bullpen that and the starting rotation that 
calls for uh, not celebration necessarily, but for us to feel pretty good about the way things are going to go. What about Bill Bray? Uh, he has not been able to get hardly anybody out, and I'm concerned that he's still hurt. If he's still hurt, goes on the DL, and I know it's a breaking news flash that Bill Bray might be hurt. He stays hurt, but um, he's usually a pretty good pitcher when he's healthy, and he's not been good so far this year. If he goes on the DL, that probably means Chapman stays in the pen for a while, uh, for better or for worse. It. I don't know what what do we what do we make of Bill Bray? He's been you can't count on him so far. I, I think you're I think you hit it on the head. I, my concern is that he's hurt, um, and he's trying to pitch through something. You know, as a lot of guys do. Um, the, the the concern is that there really isn't much help in Louisville in terms of pitching. Uh, maybe JJ Hoover, uh, who's pitched pretty well this year so far for the. Uh, for the bats. And for those of you that are, uh, don't know, J.J. Hoover's the guy that came over from Atlanta in the Francisco. Juan, Juan Francisco trade, right. Um, but short of, of Hoover, maybe Jordan Smith, who just came off the DL and is down there, I, I don't see much help in the bullpen. Um, Jeff Francis is throwing the ball pretty, pretty daggone well down there. Uh, Scott Carroll at times is throwing the ball pretty well down there. Um, Josh Judy, maybe he's an answer. I don't know. Um, it's awful, you know. It, I just don't see a whole, and I don't see any left-handed help down there, and for the bullpen. So, and that's the problem. The Reds were counting on with Ryan Madsen getting hurt and and Marshall having to take over his closer. The Reds were counting on Bray to be the primary left-handed setup guy. But frankly, when he's healthy, I think Bray's a he can handle that role. I don't have any issues with Bill Bray in that role. Um, uh, but of course, now it's going to have to be Chapman. It is Chapman now, and if uh, if Bray's hurt, it'll be Chapman for the foreseeable future. Because really, the Reds are thin on left-handed relievers. Other than if you don't count Marshall, since he's closing, they're really and Dusty won't use a closer unless he's up three runs in the ninth inning. The Reds are really thin on left-handed relief pitching in the majors and in the minors, and uh, that probably doesn't bode well for Chapman's prospects of moving back into the rotation at least in the very near future so but by and large i, I don't want to complain about the pitching i think uh with some high profile disappoint other than some high profile disappointments so far uh, or some subpar performances pitching has been pretty good uh, you pin every bit of this on the uh, this early struggles on the hitting um, but the Reds have scored some runs here the last uh, couple days hopefully they can pull themselves out of that yeah I- you know, they're playing in Chicago, and, and, I mean, they had a good day yesterday offensively, and the wind was blowing in. So that's a good thing. Yeah, no doubt. So, And uh, we're recording this on Saturday, for those of you. I'm not sure when we'll get this posted uh, up, but we are recording this on Saturday, and I hope the Reds, uh, you know, the Cubs are generally good for what ails you, so maybe the, the next two days will be good as well. Before we go, I thought you – touched on some of this with uh, John Fay and with Chris Welsh, but you and I haven't had a chance to really discuss it. And I wanted to touch on some of the contracts that have been thrown around here lately in Cincinnati. I don't think anyone in their right mind expected on the heels of last year when Cueto and uh, Jay Bruce got the sort of long-term deals and before the season, Sean Marshall was locked up for a few years. I, I think we sort of had an idea that Brandon Phillips would get signed to an extension. I don't think anyone, number one, thought that we'd see Joey Votto signed for basically what 
extends out to 12 years, a contract uh, for 12 years. It was a 10-year extension on the contract he already had. And then after that, uh, for $225 million. And then after that, to see Brandon Phillips signed as well for six years uh, total, including uh, this year. How blown away have you been by the owner, Bob Castellini, opening up his uh, wallet and spending some cash to keep some of the big players on this team together for a while? Well, I'll readily admit that they scare me to death. I don't like contracts that that are going to keep me from competing in the future. And I thought Jason uh, Linden did some some great work on the contract stuff. Uh, And he he showed how, you know, I don't think there was any doubt that that people believe that the the auto contract would pay for itself. And I was a little bit more surprised when he showed that that it seems like the Brandon Phillips contract will probably pay for itself. But in the back ends of those deals, I'm really concerned about this team's ability to compete. Am I happy that Joey Votto is going to be here for 10 years? Yeah. Am I happy Brandon Phillips is going to be here? Yeah, not as much. But I do have concerns about whether this team is going to be able to compete in those, in those, in the, you know, the, the 2016, 2018, 2020 seasons. I was hopeful that the Reds would get Phillips signed for, you know, three years or something. He's a, he's a good player. He's a sort of the face of the franchise in some ways, uh, tries to be anyway. And, and I like Brandon Phillips. There was a time when I didn't care for uh, Phillips antics much and he's really grown on me and he's, uh, I've become a big fan of Brandon Phillips. He's matured. He has matured. He's, uh, well, he's a good player. What I'm concerned about is the end of that contract. He's going to be, what, 35, 36 years old, and there are very few second basemen in history that have played well enough at that age to justify the the amount of money they're going to be spending on him. So, um, But you're right. Jason uh, Jason's posts about those contracts at RedLegNation.com, you need to go search for those if you haven't uh, didn't get a chance to see those. Made me feel uh, pretty good about both deals. I think they're fair. Certainly the Phillips deal, I don't know that the Reds got a great deal. I don't know that Phillips, uh, you know, broke the bank. I think it was probably fair given what he could reasonably be expected to contribute to this team in terms of wins above replacement. Um, yeah, I think I think both of these guys could have gotten more money going somewhere else. Um, but I think Brandon Phillips was very vocal from the, from the get-go that he wanted to stay here. Um, he likes it here. He, he enjoys – the fans here, he enjoys the, apparently enjoys the city, likes playing for this team. And I don't think the Reds have had a, a better ambassador for their team in a long, long time. Um, from what everything you read, there is nothing that this team asked Brandon Phillips to do that he has ever told him no. Um, that being said, the back ends of these deals are frightening. Yeah, I, no, no question, and I guess it's wait and see. Listen, it's not my money, so I'm happy for those guys getting their money. You know, I hope that it doesn't at some point cause the Reds uh, serious budget problems. Here's what I fear is going to happen, and I think uh, another one of our fellow editors, Chris Garber, mentioned this maybe uh, on Twitter, maybe at redlegnation.com. I'm afraid here a few years down the line, the Reds are going to be under serious budget constraints and – Joey Votto is going to be the one that gets the blame, not Brandon Phillips. They're going to say, oh, Votto's taking up too much of the uh, – you can't pay that much to your star player. Uh, and, and Votto, frankly, is probably going to justify that money more than just about anybody else in the majors could justify that money. So I, I hate to see that because Joey Votto, this guy, 
we talk about Scott Rowland being the consummate professional. Well, Joey Votto is, uh, they're one and one A on that. Over the offseason, Votto hired a private instructor and took up to five hour long classes to learn Spanish so that he could talk to all his teammates and be a better teammate. I mean, he didn't have to do that. Yeah, that's out of the Barry Larkin playbook. Exactly, exactly. And that's why we've sort of, you know, we've had a little fun with it. I don't know that we're, how serious we are, but, uh, if ever anybody's going to justify having that captaincy on their jersey again, it's going to be Joey Votto at some point. Uh, I'm just, you can't, you, you just got to love Joey Votto. He just, he wants to excel and he's willing to put in whatever it takes and to help make the Reds a, a better team and himself a better player. Uh, I'm glad they got him locked up. I don't know that I would have gone out till, till his uh, age 41 season or whatever they went, but I'm, I'm going to be glad to have him around for his career. Yeah, me too. And, and, I did, and there was a funny story in the media about when he signed the contract, and he and he said that his uh, his girlfriend, who apparently he's been with for a long time, said the best thing about him signing this contract was he made a long term commitment. <laughs> That's right. It yeah. wasn't the money for her; it was the long term <laughs> commitment. Now, my guess is the money had a little something to do with it too, but I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah, I thought that was a pretty good uh, pretty good line, definitely. So. So, you know, I mean, uh, there are quibbles. You can quibble with either one of these contracts uh, and with any of the ones the Reds have signed recently. But um, I don't think that e- any of these contracts we've seen the Reds give out are on their face bad, per se. And and it does demonstrate what uh, I've sort of liked about Cassidy from the beginning is I've gotten the feeling that he really was really cared about bringing a, a winner back to Cincinnati. And, and this is a, a demonstration with his wallet. That he wants to win. Now, whether they're going about the right way or not, I don't know. But you can't fault them for trying. So, well, the, the player, you know, <clears throat> you know, Paul Dockett, he put a thing in the Enquirer saying, "Well, Castellini's done his job. Now the fans need to do theirs." And yada yada yada. But to me, the message that this sends is to the players. You know, that if you perform, you're going to make the money here. And he wants to win here. He's trying to keep the players here that he feels like will help make this team a winner. And that should send a message to the players that, that what your, what the ownership's expectations are for you and what your, the ability of what you can do if you're successful here. And that's not been the case for a long time. I agree. It, it does send a good message to the players and, uh, it's a sort of a new day in Cincinnati. Now let's just hope that the, the one loss column at the end of the year is going to sort of justify this because the Reds have a chance the next couple of years of being pretty good, but, it's looking ugly so far. And I do have to mention at this time that for me personally, the, the most uh, exciting part about Brandon Phillips getting signed to that long-term contract is that's my son's favorite player. He wears number four on his baseball teams, and uh, he's a big fan of BP, so he was more excited than I was. But at least we get to watch Brandon Phillips for the next few years. So uh, quit, quit with this contractor or, or if you want to, but he's a fun player to watch. I'm excited to have him around. Yep. All right. Well, that's just about... One more thing. Let's talk about it. Billy Hamilton. Oh, yeah. I do have that on my list here. Did you see what he did last night? No. Well, before you get into what you were going to say about him, let me just preface it by saying last night they won one to nothing. And Billy Hamilton singled, stole second, stole third, and scored on a sacrifice fly to the second baseman. Pop fly to the second baseman. He scored. They won one to nothing. Whoa. Wow. Well, I, I pulled his numbers before, right before we went on the air here, and, and 
going into the, the, the numbers that I have, which are the same numbers that are up on the, uh, down on the farm for today, he's hitting 386. Even more amazing, his on-base percentage is 470. Now, this, I mean, we all realize this is a small sample size. Even better, his slugging is 632. He's he's only struck out 12 times and he's walked eight, and he's 14, 18 in stolen bases. That's getting it done, my friend. That is getting it done. That's outstanding, and obviously. Uh, now, you know, we all. I mean, it is a hitters league. Uh, California League is a hitters league, uh, and, but I would feel that, you know, and, and Gregorius is playing pretty well at Pensacola, too. Um, he's not hitting with any power, but he's, he's hitting the ball pretty well. You know, he's getting on base and, and hitting the ball pretty well. Until they're ready to move Gregorius up, I don't think Hamilton's going to move because Jockety just said in the paper this week, I think it was, that they're going to leave him at shortstop. At least right now, I, I don't see them making a move on, on Billy Hamilton to another position during the season. I don't think his future is at shortstop. Um, I think he's a either going to be a second baseman or probably since Brandon Phillips signed that long term contract, an outfielder, probably a center fielder. Uh, but if this kid continues to progress offensively the way he seems to have from last year to this year, because it. After the we saw I saw him last year in Dayton quite a bit and he after the the mid season when the second half of the season started it was almost like the switch went on for him and if you look at his season long numbers from last year they aren't real real impressive but if you realize that he put together most of those num- good numbers in the second half of the season he was really really effective and he was a big part of their drive for winning their division in the second half of the season and making the playoffs and setting a, 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 a franchise record for wins for a half season and for the, for the year. Um, but, and he seems to have, you know, accelerated that pace so far this year in Bakersfield. Uh, I, I've been a little bit of a Billy Hamilton skeptic, frankly, I, uh, before I now. I understand that. Me too. Uh, Cause I've just never been sure he's going to hit enough to be a right. you know, really you know, quality major leaguer. You can't steal first base. Exactly. So if he can, uh, if he, if the switch has come on for him, and he can get on base a little bit. Uh, he certainly can play defense. He, I think probably he's going to be a center fielder is what he's going to be. And uh, I think uh, it's just going to be a matter of him being able to get on base if he can. Uh, athletically, he's probably, I think everyone uh, that I, outside the organization agrees, he's probably the fastest guy in all of minor league baseball. I saw him run down a pop fly last year in the bullpen that I would have bet you my house that he couldn't get to. And he made it look easy. Uh, he, his, he is so fast, it is amazing. And, and he's one of those guys that brings a buzz to the ballpark when he gets on base. Kind of, and kind of reminds me of when Joe Morgan used to get on base. Uh, you just could tell that something good, something fun was going to happen. Uh, you know, Billy's on-base percentage wasn't that high last year, and he still stole 100 bases. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got... Uh, He's got tools. Uh, we'll just have to see how, you know, I, I don't expect him to get on base at a 470 clip, but, you know, I could live with a 400. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could, I, I could live with that. But uh, until he just demonstrates a little bit uh, a larger sample to get on base, let's uh, not hear any more comparisons to Joe Morgan, please. 
I just, that, I didn't. <laughs> I know. You I know. know what I'm saying? I know. I'm just I talking know. about the, the buzz created in the stands. Definitely, definitely. When he gets on base, you can't, you don't want to go get you a, uh, get you a beer or a popcorn yeah. when he's on base. You want to watch what happens. Yep. Uh, before we sign off here, We've had a lot of fun over the years, and we've been lucky to have some good uh, spotlight players. That's sort of our program here with the Red Lake Nation where some minor league guys sort of give us some insight, write some posts occasionally, interview with us on the podcast uh, about their road to the major leagues. Got us a new spotlight player. You want to tell us about him? Yeah, it's uh, Sean Buckley. He's he's playing first base for the Dragons this year. He's hurt right now. He's got a bad ankle. Uh, They put him on the DL this week. I haven't had the chance to meet him yet. We've conversed, you know, we, we've, you know, we connected via uh, social media. Um, he's excited to be a part of our program. Uh, I'm hoping he does some posting on his own, like Matt did. Um, and we're going to get him set up to do a podcast interview, hopefully shortly, and, and we can all get to meet him a little bit. And uh, of course, Buckley's father is, I think, he's a director of scouting, I believe. Chris Buckley, yeah. So. Yes. Uh, it's going to be interesting to uh, to talk to Sean. I look forward to hearing an interview with him, and we do have him. We do have him signed up. His accounts ready to roll for him to start posting when he gets a chance at RedLegNation.com. Uh, welcome aboard, Sean. We're glad to have you. Anything yeah, else you want to talk about? Well, let's send a message out to our other spotlight guy too. Tucker's struggling a little bit out at, out west, and uh, Tucker, we know you're going to come around. Your season's going to get better. Yeah. No. Listen. Uh, Tucker Barnhart, uh, we're really pleased to have him. This is a guy, minor league, uh, gold glove at catcher last year. And it was, uh, it was really good to see him with the Reds futures game there right before the, uh, season started when they flashed the graphic up there. And I saw a picture of, uh, of Tucker. And then, uh, he, he also said, you know, hey, that was one of the most exciting moments of my professional career having that, the picture and the congratulations on the minor league gold glove. Tucker Barnhart up at Great American Ballpark. So, listen, this, he's, he'll be okay. Uh, he'll be okay. He's going to have a good season. Look forward to following him along the way and uh, obviously always getting him back on the podcast. Look forward to that. Uh, always uh, fun to talk to him. So, and, you know, listen, while we're, while we're at it, let's, let's give a – you want to give a, uh, I guess, a, a mention to our buddy Matt Clinker as well? I don't know that we talked about uh, him on the podcast and the fact that he's well, been our spotlight player. Matt, you know, is a, and, and we all, you know, if you're if you listen to the podcast, you're familiar with Matt because he's been he's been on board many times. Matt decided over the winter that it was time for him to to get on with his life, uh, and he got a real good job and he's he's doing some sales work and and he's real happy and and last night, as a matter of fact, he was the color commentator on the Dragons uh, TV broadcast last night. I didn't get a chance to hear it, but I, I knew that he that's what he was supposed to do. Personally, I look at the Louisville rotation, and I and I think it would have looked a lot better with a clinker in the middle of it. But uh, I, I, we wish Matt nothing but success, and, and he's just such a class act, and he's got a wonderful family. His parents are wonderful people, and, and it's very easy to tell where he got it. You know, he had a good upbringing, and he's just a class act. No question about it, and we really got had fun getting to know Matt, and wish him the best of luck, and you know anything that we can do to help him in anything in the future absolutely we're we're still uh, on board the the matt clinker train um but i agree i can't stand in his shoes and uh, about the retirement only he can do that but uh, i would have liked to have seen him in that louisville rotation this year looks like there might have been a spot there possibly so but uh, good luck matt anything else we uh want to talk about here before we sign off bill nope that's all i got i don't believe a word of that uh, you could keep going <laughs> for hours and hours if i know you well enough uh, all right well then I will thank uh, 
thank Bill for joining me here today. As always, I always have a good time uh, getting together and talking about these old red legs, no matter whether they're frustrating us as they are at the moment or whether they're playing well. Always fun to talk about. There's always something interesting going on with the Cincinnati Reds. Follow Bill at, and make sure I get this right, Bill, at BillRedLegIn on Twitter. You can follow me if you want at, at DotsonC. Um, but really, uh, I want to encourage you to go follow Red Leg Nation, at Red Leg Nation on Twitter. A lot of, lot of uh, dialogue, a lot of discussion. We have a lot of fun on Twitter. Also, come visit us at uh, RedLegNation.com. Uh, Really, really pleased with some of the things we've had posted there lately. It's a, got a really good group of editors and really proud of uh, Red Leg Nation. And I hope you'll give us a chance. Could drop by, uh, drop by and see us on the interwebs. Yeah, you, you, you said this to, in an editor's email the other day, but I don't think our content has ever been stronger than it is right now. I agree. Finally, after this is our eighth season covering the Reds, we're finally maturing, I guess. <laughs> Let's not go overboard. Uh, that's a good point. Some of, some of us may be mature. <laughs> some, some of you may be, right. Um, well, if you, I do encourage you to go check us out at redlegnation.com. Also, listen, go subscribe to the uh, Red Leg Nation radio podcast if you haven't already. You can listen to it through Red Leg Nation when we post it up. But if you subscribe via iTunes, you'll get every podcast delivered to your MP3 player. That's whenever it's uh, it'll be downloaded as soon as it's posted. Get a chance to follow us here. We're trying to be more regular this year and having a good time doing that. Um, follow us on Twitter. Follow us at redlegnation.com. Uh, this will be a fun season. I'm not giving up hope yet. I still believe it's going to be a fun season. And uh, I think we're going to have some uh, some fun things to talk about over the next few months. What about you, Bill? I agree. And if you got a, questions or comments, please let us know. Yeah, please send us uh Send us an email. Send it to me at uh, chat at redlegnation.com. If you've got any questions about the podcast uh, that you want to hear answered on the podcast or want, you, want to hear us discuss, send them on to us. We'll, we'll get them on in a future edition. Let me uh, note quickly that uh, I want to thank Freak Bass, uh, Cincinnati area musical artist. Dude is unbelievably talented, uh, who's uh, provided our bumper music uh, now for the uh, podcast. Huge Reds fan, and uh, he had one of the tracks on that old uh Cincinnati Clutch Hits, what did that little album the Reds put out a few years ago? But uh, huge Reds fans, and he uh, he's provided our bumper music. I wanted to go ahead and give a shout about, shout out uh, to him, as they say. Uh, go support this guy, big Reds fan, talented musical artist. That's going to wrap it up for today's Red Leg Nation Radio. Had a good time today. Thank Bill Lack for stopping in, as always. For Bill, this is Chad Dawson saying so long, everyone. <laughs> 